You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, welcome on this special Sunday. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Josh, and my wife Katie and I are the lead pastors here at Banner Church. Thank you. Um, man, just really a great week we've been having so far, and I feel like what an awesome way to cap it by celebrating our kids' ministry. I don't know if you knew this, but we have an incredible kids' ministry here at Banner Church. It is so good. Um, and we're so thankful for our kids' leaders, and specifically our kids' director, Delaney, um, who leads the charge. Uh, she is so talented, and uh, we're so excited for her uh, starting in 2021 that she's going to be coming on full-time here at Banner Church. And that, yeah, we really believe that the future um, at Banner Church is really seen through the hearts and lives of families. And so we've really made it our mission to strategize and to implement ways we can come alongside families, not only uh, in this church, but in our community to empower, to equip, to encourage, and to support. And uh, as a parent, I can tell you that that means a lot when people do that. And so we want to constantly find ways to do that, not only through outreach, but through teaching and encouragement, through equipping you in discipling your children and raising them up. And man, it's just really an awesome opportunity. We're believing for some big things in 2021 here at Banner Church. Um, but we just, man, I, I just want to tell you a lot of the growth that we've seen in kids ministry. It's gone from my, my wife and I, our one child in kids ministry, to, you know, dozens and dozens of kids back there in kids ministry in just a short time. And I believe a lot of that has uh, to do with not only the faithfulness of our team, but the faithfulness of our kids director, Delaney. And so I just want to, can we all just, she's probably back there somewhere. Can we just all loudly thank her for all that she does. There we go. Thank you, Delaney. In just a minute, our kids are going to come out. When they come out, uh, they're going to sing some songs and read some scripture. So I want to invite you to participate in what's happening. I don't know if you've been on a stage recently, but it can be scary for some people to be on stage. And so how we encourage these awesome kids is by engaging in the process, right? By smiling. Some of you guys don't know this. Uh, I do because I see a lot of you, but your face doesn't always rest in a smile pose. Uh, <laughs> And, and so I would encourage you, just go ahead and crack one of those smiles open and bring it on your face today so the kids are not afraid of you and your presence. Uh, <laughs> another way is by uh, singing. If you'd like to sing with us, it's a great opportunity to just uh, encourage the children through singing. The louder we sing, the louder they sing, the more hilarity ensues, the better it is for everybody. Uh, and thirdly, thrice or whatever it is, uh, we, uh, I want to encourage you to engage in, in one of the songs, and they're going to be very surprised, but I'm going to teach it to you, and it's in the uh, uh, first Noel, and they do this motion, and they do Noel, really easy, it's like, a, it's like a little wave, Noel, okay, and it's got like a little, you got to like move a little bit, okay, we can all do this, we're adults, a lot of you have like dri driven cars and voted, you can handle this, uh, <laughs> so let's all practice, ready, ready, are you with me, here we go, we're going to go Noel, Noel. Okay, one more time. We're loosening it up. I like Megan in the back. She's moving. There's not, even, there's not even the music, but she's going. I like it. Ready? Here we go. Noel. Bring it in. Yes. Noel. Perfect. You guys are there. Okay, the other one. Let's do one more for this service because you guys seem like you can handle it. We're going to do some maraca movement. Now, you don't have maracas, but you can pretend in your heart. Oh, jingle bells. Perfect. Uh, is they're going to do a little maracas for us, so you got to practice the shake. You know, Boom, boom, look it, there you go. <laughs> Some of you, like, I can't multitask. <laughs> Just do one then. It's fine, it's fine. Um, but I want to do this if we could today. Could we invite with a loud round of applause our incredible kids out this morning? if you'd like to move to get a better view, the altar's open. You don't have to repent of anything. You can just get a better shot. That's all. But feel free. You can come down here. There's a, there's a seat there, wherever you want to go.
everybody to our annual Kids Christmas. Look at this amazing crew. Selfishly, this is my favorite Sunday of the year, not only because we have the cutest kids I really have ever seen, but more because all of you guys get to see what I get to do every single week. Spend time with these amazing kids as they sing, dance, worship together. We get a little goofy downstairs, but most importantly, we learn about Jesus and how much he loves each and every one of them. So please feel free to sing along with. I heard you guys learned some dance moves, so I better see them. All right, let's do it then. Before all of us were here, God sent the angel Gabriel to a young woman named Mary who lived in Nazareth. Mary was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. The angel said to Mary, Peace be with you. God has blessed you and is pleased with you. Mary was very surprised by this and did not know what the angel meant. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. God has been very kind to you. You will become pregnant by the Holy Spirit and give birth to a baby boy named Jesus. He will be God's own son and his kingdom will never end. Mary was, was very afraid, but she trusted God.
Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem because of the census, and when they arrived, they could not find a place to stay. Every house was full, and every bed was taken in the guest rooms. The only place to stay that they could find was with the animals. So in the place where the animals slept, Mary gave birth to Jesus, Son of God. Jesus' bed was not a crib, but a manger that the animals ate their hay from.
you so much, kiddos. Thank you, parents. That was pretty awesome. Thank you so much for joining us this year. kind of chaos that my Christmas season needed. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> those, are, those are good memories of my son just basically disrobing my daughter in front of my entire church. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I know a good counselor. My mom's a therapist. It's fine. <laughs> well, awesome. I, man, what, what a great Sunday, right? That was, that was awesome. I love it. Our kids team just does such an amazing uh, amazing job, and oh man, that was fun. That was just crazy. I was telling Jamin, I like kids Christmas because this is the closest any of you sit on a Sunday. So <laughs> you all are so near <laughs> to get your photos, and so we, we can, you know, we can just talk today. It's great. Um, but man, I, I, I love seeing kids Christmas. I, I love celebrating, and it's just so cool to see all that God has done. I really want to encourage you, uh, if you've never brought your kids into kids ministry, or you've never, um, maybe you have some friends who would just love to have someone come alongside and encourage their children and, and just speak life and hope into them, I really encourage you to bring them uh, to a Sunday service so they can experience Cactus Kids, because it's awesome. It's so cool. Our team, thank you everybody who has served on that team, who still serves on that team. It's just, it's a blast. Um, it's been an amazing week. I don't know about you guys. I, I love the Christmas season. I love um, Christmas even more now, honestly. Uh, as a young person, I, I didn't really like I don't know. It was cool. It was great. But when I had kids, I, like, love Christmas, right? Like, I don't I'm one of those people that people hate on online that, like, as soon as it gets under 90 degrees here, which is usually, like, November, uh, <laughs> I, like, immediately start putting up a Christmas decor. People are like, what about Thanksgiving? I'm like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm still going to eat turkey, but, like, I'm putting up Christmas lights. I love Christmas lights. I like doing fun Christmassy stuff. I bought a tree so early this year that I had to take it back because it died and get another tree. <laughs> that's, how, that's how extra uh, that I went. But mostly I just love seeing it through the eyes of my kids. Uh, they love it. They have a blast. They have a, a great time. And my kids have basically one approach to Christmas, and that's full send. If you don't know what full send means, it's like if you were to run off a diving board into a pool, you weren't sure of the temperature of the water, but you were so into it, you're willing to risk it. That's my kids at Christmas. Just diving off, off into Christmas, into the fun, into the experiences of Christmas, and uh, they love it. And I, I like watching them experience it. Yesterday, we were uh, we gave away about 800 toys at Tonalea, which Shanna mentioned, which is just awesome. We had it all set up with the principal there, and, and so him and I kind of had this little drive-through where our team would bring a car up. The kids would then unload. They'd go through this station. they get to pick their toys, and then they the parent would pull forward. The parent could enter in a giveaway, and then they would get back into the car and go, and it was, I mean, we you know, hundreds of cars that we pushed through there, but our team did amazing. If you were at part of the Love the Block team that was there serving. Thank you so much. If you're a part of the people that, that gave, even though we had a lot of people give online to it, I just want to say thank you. Uh, man, it was really an incredible, incredible experience. God uh, totally provided. I was a little nervous on Thursday that we would have enough toys, and then in the middle of the day, I got a call from Toys for Tots who normally uh, supplies us with toys, but uh, everywhere around the valley that normally would help is actually incredibly low. I don't know if it's just everyone inside or it's stuck up. Or uh, Honestly, I know a lot of businesses that normally support are just trying to hang on by a thread right now. So they were like, I, we can't get you anything. We can't promise anything until, I think it was Thursday or Friday. I don't remember when it was. They called me. They were like, if you could get here in an hour, we'll give you 500 toys. I was like, I will be there in 30 minutes, right? <laughs> Uh, so it was crazy, and 
Uh, but man, it, it was a blessing. You know, we, we still have about 300 toys left that we're actually going, uh, giving to the East Valley Dream Center. They're going to take on Tuesday and give them out in South Chandler as part of their outreach. So every toy that came in is going to go out. Yeah, it's awesome. And it was fun. It was fun seeing these kids like run up and they would run up to the table and like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know why we don't expect this. We have people there at the tables who help them pick because I don't know if you've ever seen a kid run up to a table full of free, free toys, but they have immediately analysis paralysis, right? Because they're not thinking I get to pick one. They're thinking I only get one pick. And all of these other toys will be left. What if I pick wrong? What if I don't pick the right thing, right? So they run up, and they're, like, ready, and then they see one, but we can't let them touch it because our volunteer has to hand it. So they point, and they're like, no. And then they point, and they're like, ah, ah. And then we're like, five, four, three. They're like, ah. And they pick one and then go, right? Because <laughs> or else they'd be there for, like, an hour and a half. <laughs> um, but it's honestly a blast. This, this year we didn't have pictures with Santa, but normally we have, you know, because we didn't figure like a thousand kids sitting on one person's lap probably wasn't good in a pandemic. Um, but we normally have pictures with Santa. I love like the kids wait in anticipation and they can't wait to go up to Santa and tell Santa like everything they want to tell them, uh, you know, all their toys and what, the, what, they, what they long for in Christmas. There's just something special about Christmas in the toy outreach. And there's a word that really captured it for me this week that stood out. And the word is access. Someone say access. Access, it's a word that stood out to me this week in that something that's special about Christmas and seeing Christmas and, and, and about this toy drive is that there's kind of this attitude that we're trying to, to use as, as a bridge, right? We're trying to use a toy drive as a bridge through a gift to say everybody has access. But beyond just like a gift, I, I really believe that access is a core element of Christmas, and it doesn't come from presents or Santa, even though those things are fun, and I love those things. We have access, and I'll explain what that means in a second, because of Jesus Christ. Here's what I'll say. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to the earth to give us access to a relationship and hope and healing. To give us access to a relationship with a God who intimately and deeply loves us and desires hope for every future and healing for every past. Every single person. No matter where you're from, how you came in here today, maybe how you found us online, every single person today has equal access to hope and healing. And I love that about Christmas. And so how do we gain access? How do we live in this access? How do we, how do, what does that actually mean in Christmas? And so we've been in a series called The Greatest Gift, and we've been looking at the gifts that were brought to Jesus as symbolic representations of how he is a gift to us. And so last week, we talked about gold, and we talked about Jesus as king. But this week, very briefly this morning, I want to talk about frankincense, the gift of Jesus as our priest. And I'm going to explain that. But I want to begin by just reading this scripture really briefly that we uh, have begun and kind of centered our series around. And it comes from Matthew chapter 2. If you brought your Bible, you can open to Matthew 2. If not, the words are actually going to be on the screen, and we'll just kind of see them together. But I want to read to you Matthew 2, chap or Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. It says, When they, meaning the wise men, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child, which is Jesus, with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Frankincense. I know, how many of you guys, do any of you guys have frankincense in your home? Maybe like an essential oil or like, yeah. What, uh, someone shout out, what is it supposed to do? It's What? Good for your skin. Okay. I asked Delaney for, for some essential oils, and then I keep forgetting because, you know, she's kind of been a little busy today. Um, but beyond it as an essential oil, frankincense has been a symbolic oil of anointing for a long, long, long time. So before we were rubbing it into temples or wrists or I think bottom of the feet, that's another one, uh, people were anointing and pouring it uh, over the heads of those who are symbolically anointed as a priesthood. 
You're like a priest. What are we getting into on kids' Christmas? Priesthood anointed by the beard of Noah. <laughs> In Israel, there was a group of people, the priests. And the priests had, they, they were a, uh, a special group of people that were anointed and had special access to the presence of God, meaning to, to be near him. And they would, the ceremonial, they would do things. They would offer a sacrifice uh, symbolically for the, the sins of Israel, right? They would offer, if you, if you ever read Old Testament, you're like, man, a lot of, a lot of lambs die in, in this part of the Bible. Okay, well, this was symbolic. It was a symbolic sacrifice. It was the shedding of blood to symbolically cover the blood that must be shed for our sins. They're all shadows of things to come through Jesus. And so they were a people who uh, had access to the presence of God. Where was the presence of God? The presence of God was in the temple. So in the temple, the presence of God resided in a place called the Holy of Holies. The temple, the best way, nah, the funniest way I can describe it is it's like an onion. Okay. Okay, not a lot of Shrek fans in this service either. I know. You guys just not big on Shrek? Okay. Wow. All right, I see how it is. I got to pick a new reference. Hopefully, another movie comes out talking about onions. It's not holes or Shrek. <laughs> we only get one like one every decade, people. I'm working with what I have here. But uh, the temple, it, there are layers like an onion. Come on, y'all. And as you go in, in the center is, or center ish, is the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the presence, the very presence of God, would rest and reside. Powerful, powerful. The presence of God would reside there. But only certain people could go into the Holy of Holies. Like, I couldn't just walk into the Holy of Holies if I was alive in that time because, you know, I, I'm not a part of any priestly order. I'm a Gentile, you know, and, I mean, I know myself. I would, I would die instantly. But there was a curtain that separated everybody else from the Holy of Holies, right? There was a separation, and so a high priest, an anointed priest, would go into the Holy of Holies. He would bring the request before the Lord, bring the sacrifice before the Lord, and he was given access, and it was a very specific, very certain person. Not everybody could do it. Not everybody could go in, and that you could be a priest your whole life and never get chosen. So even if you were a priest, the likelihood you went in is also pretty low. You with me? So the idea of an anointed priest was a big deal because the priest was given access to God. It could come before him. So when the, when the wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus and to Mary and to his family, they were likely only seeing them as kind of like one surmised, one big gift declaring his royalty. But as his pretty common in the poetry of the story of Jesus Christ. They are actually powerfully symbolic for who he is to be on the earth. So not only is he to be a king, like I mentioned, but he is to be a priest. And that's important because of what that means for you and I, that Jesus now assumes the role of priest. Here's what it means. Hebrews 4. I'm going to just read it to you. If you want to jump there, go for it. But I'm going to read it to you today. It says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in, who, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So for centuries, just perspective here, priests would make sacrifice on behalf of Israel to pay the debt of their sin, and they would have access into the temple. And yet... What was symbolic shedding of blood for centuries, Jesus came to shed his own blood to be the fulfillment of what had been previously symbolic. Right? Jesus came. He lived on this earth. He felt pain. He felt sorrow. He felt rejection. He was tempted. He walked through life. He lived. He even had the awkward teen years. Right? Jesus, he really lived. He really lived perfectly, and he really died. And when he went to the cross, bearing upon himself our sin and shame as the perfect spotless lamb, and he died upon the cross for our sins, it says in Scripture that the curtain was torn. Y'all remember the onion? 
and there was a curtain between that, that good inner part of the onion, part you put on your tacos, you know, the good stuff. There was a curtain there that separated. There was a separation for centuries of separation. But when Jesus died, it says the separation was torn. If you tear open a curtain, what does that mean? It means you could just go through, right? If we had a big curtain right here and I ripped it in half, you could probably see what's going on behind it. You could go through it. It was this powerful moment that the place in the presence of God, a separation was torn because of the blood of Jesus between man and God. Remember, the, the, the separation between us and God is not because God does not love us or does not want relationship. The separation between us and God is because we have chosen to live in sin and rebellion against God. We chose the separation, and if we choose it up until eternity, we will choose it for eternity because he will not force us to love him. He will not choose relationship for us. If we choose constant separation, then we will live and die by our choice. Are you still with me? And so a separation was torn, and a true high priest, that's Jesus Christ, anointed by God, taking the place that had been symbolic, taking it upon himself, gives us access. And that means Scripture tells us we can boldly approach the throne. You know how controversial that would have been in a time of kings and rulers to boldly approach the throne? Let me give you some context. You should try to boldly approach the White House and see what happens. <laughs> Text me later. Tell me how it goes. I would love to see that video. I'll probably see it on the news. You don't need to text me. I'll know how it goes. Because to boldly approach a powerful person would have been a shocking thing. And so when Scripture tells us to boldly approach the throne of God, it not only tells us something about what we're approaching, it tells us about how we are approaching. It means we have been given access. Some of you are like, I don't feel worthy to go to the White House or prefer the throne of grace. Maybe some of you don't want to go to either. But what I love about Jesus' ministry is that it was marked, it was marked by bringing people who the world pushed away. It was by bringing those people that the world cast aside, the, the, this, the world that did not have access to the blessings of life, the, the people that the world pushed to the outside, Jesus constantly brought to the inside. He was constantly bringing in the broken, the hurting, the messy, the unwanted, the undervalued, the oppressed. He was constantly gathering those that the world said had little value. And he was, by the very nature of being near to them, elevating them to a place of great value. His ministry was only three years, and yet he spent most of that time with people that the world says you should probably not spend a very short ministry with. He drew them near. And one of the ways that Jesus shows this in his ministry is the way he draws children near to him, which actually would have been a very controversial thing in, in the age. Children were not drawn near, nor has any religious leader necessarily reflected the principles of drawing children near to them in crucial moments of ministry. Children were not seen like they are today, but it was a unique aspect of Jesus' ministry. Let me tell you about it. So we love kids here, right? Like, we, we love kids here. But if your kid ran in right now and started screaming at me to pray for them, you might be like, gah, 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 right? Because there's kind of this response. So kind of like look at it in that light. Maybe you just let him do it. We'd pray for him. We'd send it back to kids' ministry. And then, you know, we'd be like, how did he get out? You know. <laughs> but look at this. This is what Jesus says, Mark 10, 13. Says so they were bringing children to him, they meaning the people, bringing children to him that he might touch them, meaning laying hands on them and praying a blessing upon him. Remember, Jesus, he was a big deal in this moment. And so parents were like, oh, okay, this guy heals people. I want a blessing for my kid. Very common practice at the time to have a, a rabbinical figure pray for your children. So it says they were bringing children to him that they, he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, meaning the rebuke, he was indignant and said to them, his disciples, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now that in itself would have been incredibly controversial, that to the children belongs a kingdom, because in the time they're, they're not given the value that they are now. But he follows it up with this statement. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. You ever read a scripture and be like, I'm sorry, what? 
This is one of those moments. If you read in Scripture, if you're a believer, if you don't do this, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. You should go, hard pause. Right? Like, I'm sorry, what? Don't just skip over it in the devos and comments on the Bible app so your friends know that you did it. Like, really read that part that says, that says very clearly, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a small child shall not enter it. That's interesting. It says, verse 16, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Okay, let's talk about this. People bring their kids to Jesus so they can bless them. Kids are loud. Kids are crazy. You just saw my son tackling my daughter as she was trying to sing you a beautiful rendition of Feliz Navidad. <laughs> and as they tried to come to Jesus, the disciples rebuked them. And that does sound a little mean now uh, because of how our context we think of children. But at the time, that would have been normal. See, right now, in the modern context, children are the center of everything, Right? Right? I mean, we, we know that, right? I know that because I know when, like, soccer tournaments are happening. Like, there's so many kids in church now that you don't have sports games or, like, vacations. I see your kids all the time now. <laughs> right? Because kids are the, the center of my life. After this, we're going to Great Wolf Lodge. Is it because I deeply, deeply want to go to Great Wolf Lodge? That kind of. I want to do water slides. <laughs> but my excuse is my children. <laughs> 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 it's our world, right? And so we, they get a lot of prominent places. There's kids' TVs. We have different names for childhood now. It's like you're, you're a kid, then you're a preteen, then you're a teen, and then when you're like 45, you're an adult. I'm not sure where that line is now. We have all these words. Now, in an ancient Near East context, you were a child, and then you were an adult. And childhood was considered kind of an unfortunate stage. Children were still loved and cherished. But it was considered an unfortunate stage where you had basically no rights until you became an adult. I'm very thankful that children have lots of rights now. But it wasn't really that way. You were dictated mostly by your family. You were not given access. You were not given attention. You were not given prominence. And so in the eyes of the world, children were actually lower than slaves at this time in value because you weren't worth any money intrinsically. And, uh, yeah, that is shocking. It's okay to be just like, whoa, duh. no, uh, we can be glad things have changed, <laughs> right? But it gives us a little perspective that Jesus is taking the lowest man on the totem pole and elevating them into a position. Just imagine you go to Santa, everyone's in a big line, and there's someone at the back, there's someone at the back that looks sickly and kind of smells bad, and everybody in the line is pushing them aside, and, and, and Santa's like, that one gets to sit with me. Except imagine instead that it's not Santa, it's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords of all the universe who was there at creation, who has come to die for your sins, who looks at, who the world looks at and says, actually, I want this one. And that is this moment right here. So to receive a kingdom as a child, it doesn't mean blindly, foolishly, ignorantly. It's not about ignorance. It's about approach. You know, some of you, uh, you would approach me differently because maybe uh, you saw me on stage or something, right? You go and say, hey, Pastor, can I talk to you? Uh, some of you don't care. You're like, hey, homie, what's up? And I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, <laughs> but my kids could care less, right? Like, my kids don't care about any of this. My kids don't care what I do. My kids don't care about what I view as success. They just see me as I am. So when I'm trying to study, they climb on me like I'm a jungle gym. None of you would or should do that, <laughs> right? But there's a certain kind of access that my kids have to me, and I, in turn, give them access to myself. Why? They don't have any money. They don't pay any of my bills. Guys, listen. My kids are so lazy. All they do all day is play and eat. They have not paid a bill since the day they were born. They are the worst roommates I have ever had. They don't have bank accounts. I know for a fact they don't have a famous last name, right? They're not, they don't have a brand. Their Instagram is terribly depleted. They don't even have one. <laughs> so why then, if those are all the things that we, they haven't gotten a raise in six years, these are all things we put a lot of value on. We value people based off this. What's your following? What's your brand? How much money? We value people according to this. But my, it's, my kids possess none of it. Why do I then value them? Because they're my children, right? 
I love them with all of my heart, every part of my being, the totality of who I am. Literally, they could have a million dollars in the bank. It would not affect how I love them at all because they are my children. And so when they run to me, I embrace them. I give them access. I give them connection and love. And I lavish my love on them because they are my children. If they disappear for 10 years and come back, am I going to love them less or more? I'm just going to love them the same. I'm going to love them. I'm going to embrace them and hug them and welcome them. And I'm going to celebrate them, right? Why? Because they're my kids. So to receive the kingdom as children, like we've had up here today, is to recognize a few things. I'm going to give them to you, and then we're done this morning. A few things. First thing, to, rec to receive the kingdom as a child is to recognize that nothing from the world grants or denies us access to the Father. Money, resources, fame, power, influence, none of that decides whether or not you have access to God. Doesn't determine if I can have a relationship with the God of the universe. You know who determines that? God. And he has determined it. And he has given me access. I could be broke, sick, unwanted. My, I could be friendless. I could be alone. I could be in isolation. I could feel like I'm worth nothing. And yet, none of that, even if I feel like I have the most, I'm the biggest screw-up on earth, I could feel like the most successful person on earth. I could feel like I have the biggest bank account. I could be the number one on the stock market. I could run the world. I could be king of the world. And still, none of it would grant me access or deny me access according to those criteria. That's not why we're given access to God. We're given it because he's God and because he cares for us. Now, this is important. This goes with it. Second, thank you for taking notes. To receive the kingdom is to recognize we cannot earn access to the Father. I'm a flawed person. I don't know if there's any other flawed people in the house. Yeah, that's right. Let's go, flawed people. Here we are. <laughs> Some people are like, no, I'm good. It's like, man, I must just have a dirtier mirror because when I look in it, I see a very flawed person. <laughs> I recognize that I am a sinner. And because I've not lived perfectly, how could I be the ransom for my own life? I can't pay it. Only Jesus can. That means nothing I can do will earn eternal life. Follow me in order. If you get it in the wrong order, it's going to become a problem. So follow me in the right order because we're talking about what we've re received, not what we're doing yet. Doing comes after receiving. But it's got to be in the right order. Look at Ephesians 2.1. I want to read this. This is such a powerful scripture. It says, And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that it's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, if you like to underline, it's okay to underline in your Bible, trust me. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is a gift. You can't earn it, can't buy it, you can't work for it, you can't do enough good deeds for it. It's a gift, which should be joyful and sobering. Right? It's sobering in the sense that I could never earn this. And it's joyful in the sense of I could never earn this. Right? And it's it both live together like the most beautiful kind of paradoxical unity in the sense that I am both sobered by the reality of my own brokenness that I could never achieve salvation for myself and yet joyful in the reality of my brokenness that I could never achieve salvation from myself but Christ has given it to me as a gift. That though I deserve wrath because I have chosen sin to rebel against the relationship of God, God in turn sends his own son to die for me to bring me back into the relationship and I again get to choose whether I reject him.
Isn't that crazy? That I didn't say this in the first service, but it needs to be said. People often reflect on religion as if it is a matter of no choices. But can I tell you, Jesus is the only reason you have a choice. Because by living in brokenness, which we all do, we have made a choice to rebel against God. And if there is no Christ, then there is no choice. And you're right, that sucks. But through Christ, there is a choice. Jesus took a relational risk for you by dying on the cross so that you might again have the choice to choose him. If you deny him again, then he won't make you love him. But man, he desperately longs for you too to bring you into that relationship. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. It's a gift. Which is why the third thing's important. Jesus is that high priest that's given us access. He's right here. Me in rebellion, God in perfection. Jesus gives us access. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. How do you enter by the blood of Jesus? What does that mean? It means Jesus' blood that shed on the cross. So for all of the centuries, there had been a symbolic shedding of blood to stand for the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus' blood, he actually shed real blood on the cross. It was a sacrifice for us. It says, by the blood of Jesus, by the new living way that he opened for us through the curtain that, that is through his flesh. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I don't know how good your sense of self-worth is. Like if we were to make a chart, like one in ten, I don't know where you'd put yourself. Like, yeah, I feel like I'm worth a lot. Maybe like I feel like I'm not worth anything. Can I just tell you today that the great equalizer of self-worth is Jesus Christ. Christ is the true source of all equality. The church is meant to be the acting out of the equality of Jesus Christ. All have sinned. None can earn salvation. None are worthy. But all are loved. And all are saved. And all have been given access to eternity because of him. For he made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that through him we could become the righteousness of God. And now, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's equalizing. Black, white, rich, poor, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, everybody is equal in the eyes of God because of his great love and mercy. Jesus is the high priest who's given us access. But I love that he doesn't stop there. This is so cool. I love this. It's like, not only does... It's like we were, uh, I've heard it explained that, you know, we, we live in such rebellion to God. We're like these rebels that have been running around the kingdom of God, terrorizing it. And uh, he invites us into the throne room, and though we deserve probably, you know, all kinds of things for our sin, he chooses instead to invite us into relationship in his presence, except he doesn't stop there. He then says, listen, you're not only uh, invited into my presence, but now you're part of my lineage. You're part of my family. You're adopted in your children. And we're standing there like, wait, what? I thought I was going to get roasted for this. And he's like, no, actually, now you are co-heirs with Jesus. We are called children of God, co-heirs in Christ. To receive the kingdom is to recognize that we are called children of God, co-heirs with Christ. Did you, have you thought about that recently, co-heirs with Christ? Like co-heirs with Jesus, like from the Bible, Jesus, right? Jesus from the Bible, you guys know what I'm talking about? Co-heirs with, with him, with that one, that guy, not Paul, right? Jesus, co-heirs with Jesus. I, I think about this, when we adopted our son, people have said, like, the funniest things to me in adopting because I realized, like, people don't really understand adoption. And when we adopted our son, people would ask us, like, are you guys going to have any more of your own? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm an aggressive person. And so I quell myself. Some of you have received the second text I sent you, not the first one. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, roaring up inside of me, but I'm like, the, he is my own, Right? Yeah, sure, yeah, like, we didn't birth him, but that kid, God knew from the moment he was created that he was mine. He is my son from the very moment, right? Amen? Like, I will ruthlessly defend that child. Every, I, I have Lucy, and I have Henry, and I love them both so fiercely and deeply that you could not compare in a million years how close that, that number is, 
right? They, I, I love them and I care for them. How? I didn't birth him. How could I care for him so much because of the spirit of adoption that reigns inside of us? He is my son. We have been brought together through Jesus Christ. You know, we say this phrase all the time. I know you might have heard it. Blood is thick in the water. Have you heard that? But the actual phrase tells us almost the complete opposite, which by the very fact that a phrase says blood is thicker than water should be confusing in general. Like, what water? Right? Like, my family's closer than my water family? <laughs> like, right? What is this, Avatar? Because the full phrase is actually, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Hear me again. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. It means through Christ there is a deeper unity and a deeper connection than no matter where you're born, where you came from, what's been done to you, what you've inherited, what you've not inherited, what's been brought upon you, what you've tried to flee from. The blood, the covenant of Jesus Christ, the new covenant, his death and resurrection is greater than anything from this world. Because you are called children of God co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 14 tells us this very same thing. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, this is the important part, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is so important. If you are children of God, then you are part of his inheritance, right? My son, Henry, gets the same love and affection as Lucy, though they did not, though one was adopted and one was birthed. Why? Because they're my children. The same is true for God. Some of us feel like we have this impression of God that he's this Zeus-looking figure up in the sky who's got this robe and is kind of mean and is hoping that we can just do enough that we can get up to heaven and hang out with those weird-looking babies with harps all day, and then everything will be perfect as long as you're down with white robes and singing all the time, right? Which half of you are like, that sounds like actually hell. That doesn't sound like heaven, <laughs> Well, I don't want to be hanging out with a bunch of babies for eternity, right? I'm just be honest. Um, especially if they have harps. When was the last time you listened to harp music? I like harp music, but for all eternity, I don't know, guys. It's not the point. My point is very clearly this. We have a, dis we have a skewed view of God. When God is not calling us to achieve more in order to uh, uh, elevate ourselves to a higher plane of understanding, he is calling us to submit our hearts to him, and in doing so be brought into the family of Christ and understand completely our adoption as sons and daughters of God, and in so doing receive the inheritance not only of mercy and grace on this earth, but of eternal life. You're like, that's a lot. Yeah, praise the Lord, huh? If we stop boxing God in some weird mythological context, we would understand the depths and riches of his continued work in our life and the salvation he's brought and the freedom and power. Man, you can come up. This is the fourth thing. This is why. To receive the kingdom as a child is to recognize this. Every person, every person can experience the freedom and power of a new life in Jesus Christ. Hear me again. Every person, every person can experience or yourself, the freedom and the power of a new life in Jesus Christ. E every single person. Like, well, what about this kind of person? Yep. Well, I heard if you vote like this, you can't. No. Nope. I heard if, you d if I did this in the past, I can't. No, that's, that's not it. We could go on forever, honestly. I'm from here. I did this. I've been this. I feel this way. I'm not sure about this. What about me? Hear me say every person can experience the freedom and power of a new life in Christ. Every word of that's important. New life is how you experience it. Through him. Because of Jesus Christ. Today, right now, we talk about hope and healing in this church all the time. For every person, there is hope for the future and healing from the past through Jesus Christ. 
you can experience the freedom, the freedom from sin and shame and guilt, the freedom from what ties us to death instead of eternal life, and you can experience the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit indwelled within you, the comforter, the healer, because of Jesus. Hebrews 4, 14, I'm going to read you that verse I read at the beginning. It says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When the wise men came to worship Jesus, they came to declare, you know, who is the one born king of the Jews? And they brought with them gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And as we reflect on frankincense, we're constantly reminded that Jesus came not just to be king in the sense the world understands, but to be the priest that gives us access the one who died for our sins, the one who removed the separation of sin that has held us from true relationship with Jesus, with God, with our freedom and the power of a new life. And now through him, we can all, all of us, draw near to the throne of grace and receive mercy and help in time of need. And that's what we get from God. When we draw near to the throne, it's not the throne of anger. Some of you, it's hard to conceptualize and visualize drawing near as a child because in your life as a child, you were not empowered to draw near to anyone in a healthy way. And so some of you today, God's going to begin to stir your heart to draw near to Him as the true and good Father, the Father to the fatherless. Now we can draw near to the throne out of anger, out of judgment, out of fire, Though there will be judgment, though there will be an end to the age, we draw near to a throne of grace, and we receive what? Mercy. Every person, every person has access to God, every person has access to Christ, every person has access to His presence, and in so has access to His victory. There is nothing that you face in this world that God has not overcome. And today, as children of God, you can run, just like these kids on Christmas, running to the tree. You can run to God and experience and truly know His deep love for you. And in so knowing and in so being, have access to His victory for your life. It doesn't take elevating yourself. It takes surrender. So today, I'm going to invite you. Would you stand with me? I'm just going to invite you here in this place to close your eyes and bow your head. Just a moment, the band's going to lead us in a song actually about the victory of Jesus Christ that we're just going to declare over this place and over your life before you leave. But before we do that, there's two things I want to pray for you. And we do the first one with our eyes closed and our head bowed because I want to give you an opportunity to surrender your heart to Christ. And I know that often that first step is the hardest yes to say to Jesus. And so I don't want you to be influenced by anything around you, any pressure, anybody else looking at you. This is just a you and Jesus moment. We celebrate your salvation publicly when you get baptized. But this is your moment with Jesus Christ. And if you're in this place and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, maybe you can't even begin to conceptualize hope and healing, hope for your future and healing from your past. Believe that Jesus has come to set you free, that you might receive new life today, that the old is gone, it's been wiped away, it's been removed, the shame, the hurt, it's been wiped away, and you can receive new life, that he can do a miracle in your life today. As you begin this incredible and powerful journey with a God who deeply, deeply loves you. I know in this moment, often the enemy comes in and he begins to speak doubt into your heart. This is your moment to begin the relationship that frees your soul. And yet often in this moment, the enemy comes and begins to whisper doubts into your mind and begins to say, this is foolish or ridiculous. He begins to say that you don't have every answer you need. And can I just tell you, if you desire the love of Jesus, then don't get deceived by the lies of the enemy. Allow him to love you today as you surrender your heart to Him. And if that's you, 
and you've never made that decision, or man, it's been a while since you have chosen to follow Jesus, and you're saying, you know what, I'm just, I really want to proclaim my heart today, to say, I choose you, Jesus. I say yes to you today, and I'll begin that journey. If that's you this morning, there's hope and healing, I'm just going to invite you right now, right now, if you would, if you're saying yes to Jesus, if you would just lift your hand and put it back down this morning. Once you lift it, you can put it back down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray over you, and as I do, I just encourage you to just repeat after me. If you're in this place and, and you didn't lift your hand, would you still repeat with us? Because as a form of unity, we can stand with one another, and uh, it's still true. <laughs> So we celebrate you for making that choice today, and we want to pray with you. So I just encourage you, church, in agreement. Can we pray together and pray? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for taking my sins upon yourself and nailing them to the cross. Thank you for rising again on the third day and inviting me into the resurrection. Today I give you my heart. Surrender all I am and choose to follow you with my life. In your name, amen. With our eyes closed ahead, but I want to pray one more thing. If you're here this morning, this is again a moment you and the Lord before we worship and respond to the victory of Jesus Christ. If you're saying today, I really long to press deeper into that relationship with Jesus. I know that I have access and yet I have constantly tried to prove myself. And today I need to reject that attitude and those principles of trying to prove it, of trying to earn it. And I just want to step into the victory of Jesus Christ. Stop trying to earn my way in and just step in, just release, surrender my way in to the victory of Jesus Christ. If that's you today, I just encourage you. Would you just lift your hands with me and we want to pray together. If you're saying, I'm tired of trying to prove myself, I just want to press in and receive, have a revelation of his love and receive from him. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, we thank you so much that your love is good and that you are here. Thank you, Jesus, that you did take our sins upon the cross, that you died for us and in so doing, that you tore the curtain, the separation, and now we have access to you, Jesus, and that within every believer dwells the Holy Holy Spirit, and in so doing, we have all now become the temple of God, and we have access, oh Lord, that we don't have to earn it, that we don't have to prove it, that we don't have to keep trying to work our way up, but that through you, Jesus, as a gift, we have received it. So I pray this morning, those that need hope would receive hope, those that need healing would receive healing, and those this morning that say, you know what, I need to press into that access of you, Lord. I pray as they do in worship that you would meet with them, that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them, and that we would walk in the victory that comes through Jesus Christ this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship the Lord together. <laughs> 